0: Welcome to Are We There Yet? Transport into the Future. This is a series of programs that look at current issues and developments and what they mean for the transport we need, we want, and what we can supply in the future. These programs are written and presented by David Brown.
1: When the New South Wales Government in Australia held a Future of Transport Summit, One of the people they specifically invited to attend was Professor David Henscher. Professor Henscher is the founding director of the Institute of Transport and Logistics Studies at the University of Sydney. He is an internationally recognised authority in the transport and infrastructure field and is Australia's most cited transport academic. The summit had a focus on new technologies and what they might do for future transport solutions – Attendees were not just those who had a specific interest and experience in transport, but they also included a much wider range of people who were experts or had utilised technology in their own areas of interest. I asked David if it was important for governments to take on a much wider range of people and professions if we are to make the most of technology within the area of transport.
2: Absolutely. Um, With this digital age, we've got to recognise that there's a a whole new set of players, including the existing ones in transport, that are going to throw a different light on opportunities that we have out there to deliver better services to customers. I suppose the broad umbrella is how does technology provide new opportunities to open new doors to enhance the customer experience? You've got to be very much focused
1: on the customer, haven't you? You don't want technology to become another supply side push without understanding exactly how it 's going to work for the customer
2: absolutely david and uh, I think the what what that workshop did was to in some ways result in us asking a lot of questions as to how we could translate the new smart technologies in this digital age into opportunities to improve. The mobility of, um, of, of the system to benefit individuals and that's where I think this new idea, in some, some ways an old new idea but helped by technology of mobility as a service is now going to I think generate a lot of interest both in terms of research and application and we're starting to see it quite clearly in small chunks through things like uberization of of transportation, We'll talk a little bit about that, uh, not only in terms of cars, but
1: also buses in the moment. You went to the first sessions, which had a number of keynote speakers, including uh, the co-founder of Apple, Mr Wozniak, Steve Wozniak. Was there some broad thinking there? Was there some visionary sort of stuff?
2: There was. I think the biggest challenge is the timing of, of what might happen. I mean, you have on one extreme people saying that in the next five years, people won't own cars, will have driverless Cars and you'll simply uh, use your smartphone to dial up a service and it'll be delivered. The point to point idea. Then you get others that are somewhat agnostic by simply saying, Yeah, that's coming, but in fact, we're a long way off from doing that, and we must recognize that there's a lot of institutional and regulatory issues that we've got to think about that are going to provide massive barriers. Having said that, it was rather interesting that it was hosted by New South Wales because apart from ACT and New South Wales at the moment, as I understand it. We're the only ones that have legalized the Uber type services. And what I think New South Wales government is saying, what we've got to do with all these new technologies is basically throw them into a competitive market and see what rises to the surface. And this will not only provide better services, we hope, to customers, it'll take some pressure off state budgets in terms of having to de- deliver what are rather tired in some senses and rather standard and maybe less effective types of transportation that we provide, e.g., fixed timetable buses. The issue is that we've often just looked at,
1: say, travel time of the bus or the speed of the bus or the train, whereas the comfort of the customer, the awareness of where the bus is and how long they've got to wait, there's a whole pile of ways we can serve that customer other than
2: just get them onto a seat. And in fact, we, what we're trying to do is to take the mode out of the equation and put the service into the equation and simply saying that what, what sort of mixture of, of transportation can serve point-to-point requirements better than what we currently have. But also asking the question, David, about under what conditions can, can, can and will these sort of new technologies actually be value-adding in terms of the customer experience. They may not be the panacea for everything we're looking for. And and to give you an example, whereas these things might work well in in the context of rural situations where there's low density, and clearly that that conventional bus that basically drives around with fresh air most of the time apart from the driver, may be a silly solution. We've always argued that, and we've even said taxis in the past, but now we're talking about the possibility of um, a point-to-point Uber-type service offering effective or more relevant service. However, having said all this, It comes at a cost Uh, who's going to pay the fare compared with the bus fare that's a big issue that was not talked about at the summit big difference in cost but when you come back to the metropolitan area the big question we're now asking ourselves is how scalable is this argument okay we don't own cars uber has a system whereby it can actually collect and distribute people on a point-to-point basis either the whole origin destination trip or to a railway station Maybe school kids will not use buses anymore and they could, they could use one of these new car-sharing systems. In fact, there's one that's been advertised in Sydney at the moment called Ride Hero. It was on the news the other day, whereby they can pick up children in a um, strain-to-danger type environment, which you've often mentioned, and take them to school. Sounds great. Smart technology, bookable services, door-to-door, safe, but what is it going to cost? Ride Hero? for the first five kilometres for the first child, $5 for the second child. Two children going to school, Ride Hero, that is $20 one way per day, $40 a day, $200 per week. Compare that with a bus fare. Interesting. There's no doubt about it. I
1: wonder whether we might not end up with various levels, almost eliteness in the travel that you get, that there will be those who can only afford the very base levels and there will be those that afford the upper levels. I guess that question, well, the point about that is it will balance out and the market may choose some things that we might not have originally thought of.
2: Absolutely right, and this is why I think we've got to even put this in the context. How might we design contracts for suppliers to deliver the door-to-door service, which could be multimodal and could involve some cross-subsidy between the somewhat more expensive individual vehicle-type service and and maybe the less expensive uh, traditional bus service. There are huge opportunities here to think smart, out of the box, and to have a package that actually has all the ingredients that can actually be financially viable and can service markets that have different propensities to pay.
1: Now, in fact, you got so inspired by this, you are now drafting a paper on this particular subject of how we might cope not with just individual cars, although that may be part of it, but what it may mean to buses. What do you think are some of the key things you mentioned area-wide, uh, a contract may not become part of it. Are there other things that you think may be disrupted or, or may be changed in the light of these t- uh, technological developments?
2: Yes, well, I think we should at least mention the um, the area-wide contracts as a starting point because the boundaries that we currently have for bus contracts are in some ways rather artificial, almost historical, and are they necessarily serving the way in which we're currently travelling from point to point? Where a lot of travel is between areas at the moment uh, but of course you have to change buses and so on and so on all right for school kids going to your local school but you know there's a lot of long distance bus activity by school kids going to private schools etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think the point is to what extent is that very inefficient and i've said in another context that actually if you actually removed all the boundaries of, of the bus contracts in sydney which means the buses could operate wherever they want under an efficient uh, service delivery model, and there are many of those we could talk about, then you could actually reduce the number of buses that you need to do the job because, and I would say up to 20 to 30%. Now, that's pretty incredibly large, but it's it reflects the fact that there's a lot of buses that are not allowed to pick up on the return journey. So they go into the CBD, for example, full, then they have to come right back to the hills empty because they're not allowed to pick up because it's not part of the contract deal that they have. The point about the new era is that we may be able to avoid those sort of things and say, let us um, have a system whereby the spatial definition of where you can deliver is no longer applicable. Do it wherever you want as long as it provides a customer experience that is better than anything else we could possibly deliver under rather limited regulatory environments we now see in many parts of Australia. Do you think there could be a problem that that could be driven
1: just by financial considerations so that they pick the cream, whereas the government has a responsibility for equity issues to try and
2: service areas that may not have a lot of patronage? Well I think it's a mixed model, it's it's almost like if you think back to Britain in the Thatcher era outside of London where they economically deregulated the market and they said let's see if competition can deliver what we need but where competition cannot and there will be a saving in subsidy from government anyway, this government will bring in a subsidised uh, tender process to fill in the gap, minimum subsidy gap filling as they called it. In other words government will continue to have a role and in fact the way the contracts should be designed when government gets involved should be such that they will encourage competition but would recognise where it's not going to deliver the services, they'll develop contracts which will fill in the gap, presumably and hopefully cost far less than they're currently spending on supporting conventional buses. But there's a lot of work to be done, David, to think that through. I think the important thing is we've got to stop thinking about the mode and think about the service.
1: I've always said there's far too much of that fundamentalism. You know, the answer's a train, now what's the question? The answer might well be a train in some circumstances, but we have to think of that balance. The other thing about that that I think you often push is that uh, some fixed rail proposals are very expensive and you could apply quite a number of bus routes as an alternative, even if they don't all go down the one corridor.
2: Absolutely right. This is the whole debate about uh, an integrated network that's serving the customer rather than we have a corridor where we deem we want to build a train. And in fact, uh, the more we put into that corridor in terms of an expensive solution, which may or may not deliver the the, um, patronage benefits that we would like, the more we're running out of money to to serve the network as a whole. We always need system-wide tests to see where best to spend the dollar. And I've often said that we need to focus on connectivity, frequency and visibility, and that means that we need to recognise increasingly that a lot of our a lot of our travel movements are circumferential, they're going between locations where a single corridor is not going to make much of, much of a difference, and we need to find ways in which we can service that growing population than simply forcing through investment, and often we're seeing it time and time again in Sydney, solutions towards the CBD rather than the cross-city or circumferential solutions, which might end up with growing more patronage than what we're likely to get in some of these CBD-focused solutions.
1: I was at a conference today and one of your colleagues was there uh, who's made a very valid point. We seem to be uh, judging projects based on one-off projects. And and if you do the maths in, in any way you like, you can almost justify anything. But we're not necessarily looking at the whole system-wide. So we end up with a couple of big projects which are all part of the budgets and say we're doing well, but we're not necessarily addressing the system. So technology is good, but we've got to understand that within that
2: system context. Technology can have a huge influence on, on subsequent behaviour and get people more informed. But, you know, one of the things that's really exciting about ITLS at the moment is the development we have of what's known as MetroSCAN, which we've invested in heavily in the last five years, and it's a new modeling capability that can actually evaluate lots of candidate projects, or I call them initiatives, I don't like the word project, initiatives whereby we can look at improvements in services, improvements in, in pricing, new investment, be light rail, heavy rail, improved roads, BRT, you name it, even changing land use. And we can evaluate these things very fast, and it's like saying, Before you stick your hand up and say, well, we want to build a railway between A and B, we should say, are there other ways in which we can deliver improved accessibility, improved mobility, but we need tools to be able to evaluate lots of possibilities very quickly. And the problems with the current transport planning methodology is that you often hire a consultant to look at one project e.g. Victoria Road at the moment by a consultant who's given two options and those options are slight variations on a Victoria Road solution but maybe there's a better solution in terms of um, somewhere else in the general vicinity or land use plan or something whatever it could be and what Metro Scan does it can actually evaluate all these things within literally hours not days not months And so we could advise government, as indeed we're doing at the moment, on whether in fact a project that they may not have even thought about could be better value for money, higher benefit cost, create jobs than the projects that someone has simply said, let's look at these two. May I pick the wrong projects? But we can't wait to make a decision. We need to evaluate quickly, prioritize quickly, evaluate quickly quickly. And build quickly i 'd love to talk to you more about that particular program.
1: I think that 's part of the technological development. May I just finish with one quick point. I believe that the speaker, Will Duckworth from the IBM he, I guess he was talking about cracking a nut with a sledgehammer. They were asked to go to a system where they were wheeling out the provider the transport provider was wheeling out a ticket dispenser which ran on batteries. And they found that the batteries were running out. Do you remember that story?
2: At the airport, to the airline, the staff. Yes, it was actually the staff. The ladies, the ladies were. Um, they had to bend down to pick pick up the replacements, and the bending down was an issue.
1: The whole solution they had talked about a great technological solution of increasing the battery power and things. When the reality was to relocate the power point to the <laughs> middle of the wall.
2: Exactly right. Well, you know, I think we're all very interested in supporting smart technology in the digital age, but I think we've got a long way to go to really get a sense as to what's going to make a big difference. But I think the starting point has to be customers and how we can benefit the customer experience. And I think government's particularly interested in doing that in the context of making sure that whatever contribution it makes financially, it's getting value for money. I see this as almost like a revolution in rethinking the way in which public transport has been delivered to date. So in 10 years' time, hopefully, if we do get the opportunity to talk about this again, we'll be be seeing what worked and what didn't work. But what I think we can say is that the consumer will be more informed, the consumer will be smarter, and the consumer will have more choices.
1: David, lovely to talk to you. I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks, David. And that was Professor David Henscher, the founding director of the Institute of Transport and Logistics Studies at the University of Sydney. David contributes and advises at an executive level across many government and private sector organisations on matters related to transportation and infrastructure. The Institute of Transport and Logistics Studies carries out independent research and is involved in practical projects with industry.
0: Are We There Yet? Transport Into the Future is produced by Driven Media. Driven Media specialise in communicating technical and scientific information to professionals and the public and also facilitates planning and behaviour change in groups and organisations. You can send comments or suggestions to feedback at drivenmedia.com.au. All the participants have agreed to the recording and distributing of their comments.